This is Polly, and I am now going to give you some dates for Chicago Dialogue Therapy Training. It's training for therapists who want to learn the dialogue therapy method, which is the method that incorporates real dialogue plus a number of other features of evaluation and communication. It's for anyone interested in learning couples therapy and especially interested in learning dialogue therapy. Uh, and the first training in Chicago is November 7th through 10th, 2019. The second training is January 30th through February 2nd, 2020, April 2nd through the 5th, 2020, and May 14th through the 17th, 2020. These are all extended weekends, and together these trainings result in about 85 hours of continuing education credit for mental health professionals. You can check on my website to see where the training will take place in Chicago. If you live close to Chicago or you want to make the commute, it's going to be actually a really lively training. And we've taken some time to set it up. And I know there are a lot of people interested in the Chicago area. But I would encourage anybody who's close by and interested in completing the training, getting certified in dialogue therapy, to check the website about the training in Chicago. Welcome to Enemies from War to Wisdom. Why do we need enemies? From intimate relationships to politics, tribalism, and community, we cannot seem to stop dehumanizing each other. Chronic conflicts in our families, societies, and nations seem inevitable. In this podcast, we analyze human hostilities from the most mundane to the most sophisticated. We apply psychology, psychoanalysis, art, spirituality, and relational theory in conversation about belonging and otherness. Each program will reach for a fresh wisdom that shows us how to step back from creating enemies in our lives. I'm your host, Eleanor Johnson, a videographer and artist with Emma Troop, an experimental theater group in New York City, and I am here with my co-host, Polly Young Eisendratt, who is a psychologist, Jungian analyst, author, and speaker. We approach our ideas each from our own worlds, but always from the spirit and teaching of Buddhism, of which we are lifelong practitioners. In today's podcast, we're going to explore the meaning of free will and some of the arguments for and against it. We're going to talk about free will in the context of the timeless laws or guidelines for how to develop our intentions wisely, the Ten Commandments, the Five Basic Moral Principles of Buddhism, and the Golden Rule. We will emphasize the nature of human negativity and hostility in relation to our natural reactions on an interpersonal and personal bias, as well as the wise guidance provided by our cultural ancestors encouraging us to restrain and contain our, self-protective, our self-protection and self-promotions. Welcome, Polly. <laughs> Hi, Eleanor. I could see. And welcome, Sarah. We have Sarah's Sarah on with here us with again us today. Too. Yes, which Sarah's is really with us great. For this one too. Great. Yes, yes. So I could see that forming those words, self-protection and self-promotion, right. wasn't really easy. Mm. And you know, maybe the reason that I wanted to talk about free will is that there's so much going on these days with artificial intelligence and with robotics and also to some extent materialism and determinism that there there are people and really some actually thoughtful 
educated people who do not believe that there is such a thing as free will. You know, they, they feel like all of us are just kind of marching through an environment where all of the contingencies are already determined. And we pretend like we're making choices, but actually everything's kind of lining up already. In that way, they think, you know, that we could be reproduced in robots or in higher level AI kinds of machines. And Polly, do you want to give a definition of how you see free will? Oh, yes, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> Stranger should ask. Right. <laughs> Being that there's so many and, different uh, interpretations yes, to free will. <laughs> yes, and so, you know, I mean, I actually have a pretty simple definition yeah. And I feel it's pretty close to experience, which is that human beings can set an intention to act and then they can act on that intention. In other words, our actions are not just all automatic. Right. A lot of our actions are automatic because, as we've said many times, we're about 95% unconscious. And those are automatized actions where we just see something some way or hear something some way and we don't set any intention, right? We just do it. It's kind of like we bang up against it and then we react to it. But we do have some other capacity that other animals don't have. And we've talked about that here, which is that we can examine what we're going to do before we do it. And we can set an intention about it. And then we can check after we've done or said something whether we met that intention. And in that way, I believe we have free will. So, you know, you can decide to meditate tomorrow morning. And even when you wake up and you're hungry and you're tired, you still follow your intention. So you don't just follow the animal instincts when you wake up. You actually go to the human level of being able to determine what you're going to do over against your instincts. And human beings can do that, other animals cannot do that. Human beings have this capacity because we have what's called reflective thought, which uh, allows us to step back and decenter from our immediate experience and to check on either what we've done or what we're about to do. So, in my view, it's the setting of those intentions and then being able to follow them, even if they go against your instincts, your emotions, other people's wishes, your self-promotion, your self-protection, right. you know, that you still follow your intentions. And to me, this is a kind of miraculous thing about being human, that we have that degree of freedom, which, you know, people would call subjective freedom, or it's a small degree of freedom, but it's very significant in that our actions are not simply reactions to conditions. Right. Right. They are actually intentional. You know, I've heard Sam Harris and some of the guests on his podcast argue that we don't have free will because, for example, you know, if you push me out the window and I'm falling five stories, I can't will myself to get out of that. Or if I'm listening to somebody speak in an auditorium, I can't will myself to have a different meaning to the words. And I think that, that those arguments are not really arguments against free will. I think actually they're taking up the question of free will in the wrong level of discourse. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so human beings 
are in three different categories of being. We're objects, we're physical objects. So if you drop us out a window, we'll act like a physical object. And in our physical objectness, we have very few degrees of freedom, and particularly if we're falling by the conditions of gravity. Now, there are some Buddhist ascetics who argue that they can, and that very advanced human beings can, even in those conditions, change their physical dimensions. You know, now I don't want to get into that argument because I haven't met anybody like that. And so, I mean, it might be possible that you can demanifest somewhere and remanifest someplace else. Mm -hmm. so that, and the yeah, if you're falling out a window, and, you can fly or whatever. Yeah. I've never seen it. Yeah, but I, I don't, I don't entirely think it's um, completely a ridiculous idea because I think consciousness is a field and lots of things don't immediately present themselves. Uh, and in there's the so way. much we don't know about. There's a lot we don't know yeah. about and so on and so forth. But let's just say for most of us, we behave as physical objects when you treat us as a physical object and our free will does not span over that territory. Similarly, we behave as animals in regard to instincts you know, which include the need to, to, to eat and to defecate and to sleep. And we also react emotionally in the limbic system, at least within the primary emotions, pretty similarly to animals. But what human beings can do that animals cannot is that they can contain or restrain those emotions and then check their intentions. Mm -hmm. And you can even check your intention in regard to your instinctual life. And so, you know, if you have promised to do something that goes against your instincts, but you've vowed or promised that, you can do that as a human. But, but the dog can't. The dog actually has to go with the instinct. The dog, you know, maybe one instinct overtakes another. You know, the, the dog is sleepy, but then sees a squirrel. And so actually runs after the squirrel. But human beings actually can make the choice to follow an intention, even though they're instinctually moving in the other direction. But where our free will really, really operates more freely is when we, we check on our actions in a framework where we're free to check, where we have that mindfulness and we can say, okay, is this the way I, I want to speak? What's my intention here? Or we can take a step back after we've acted and say, did I meet my intention? And then if, if you didn't, you can change something. You can right. apologize. You can change it or whatever. I found with uh, in, in my tradition, Tibetan Buddhism, many of the great Rinpoches have always talked about pure motivation. Mm -hmm. Check in with your pure motivation. Right. And at times they've also used the word intention. Yeah, as well. Well, and, and so they wouldn't use necessarily, they don't, I mean, free will. But I always found the thing of, you know, check in with you. What do you think it, pure motivation means there? Well, in a certain way, it, it's both honesty, authenticity, and accountability. Okay. All kind of rolled into right, one because right. you're, you're, you're in relation to your own truth, to the best of your, right. your ability. Right. More than that, you... So it's the authenticity and honesty... And, and also possibly yeah. compassion, well, kindness, yes, yes, you know, yes. that the pure motivation, my understanding of it is it's not self-protective. 
and it's it's not self promoting. Yes, yes. So yes. that it, it doesn't promote yeah. your family. Yeah. Doesn't just protect your family or yourself. Yeah, good point. In and so it's it actually has that nature of fundamental wisdom, kindness, compassion. Right connected to your actions right. in a way that you're acting right. honestly with and you're always framework. working with exchanging self for other as well so that division isn't there within buddhism where you or, where you separate yourself out from others right right and well in again on the podcast we have defined many times that the self is an interactional yes. process right. it doesn't exist inside of the body it doesn't actually exist outside of the body but it's a habit and it's a habit usually of speech as well as action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has you know, various narratives associated with it and various kinds of identity patterns. So the pure motivation, I think, is a motivation that's not primarily self-motivated right. in terms of protecting your own body or the, the welfare of your family, that kind of thing. Or your ego. Your ego, right, what you, th- what you believe. So intentional action, then, is that level of freedom that allows us through mindfulness or through insight or through you know love to intend things that that we can bring about even against our own nature even against our instincts and our emotions Um, and because human beings can do this and again going back to Harari. I mean, I feel like for this podcast, Harari is the Bible, <laughs> Sapiens, you know, it's like I'm always going back to Harari. But I think what he pointed out about Homo sapiens that was so brilliant, and I never had it pointed out before, is this capacity to talk about things that are not present. You know, we don't say, you know, here's the table, would you like a glass of water? We say, you know, I saw your brother yesterday and he was riding your motorcycle. And so we say things that aren't happening right now and we can direct our intentional actions into narratives that aren't really true mm-hmm. and we yeah. can create consequences and even intentionally that bring about various kinds of consequences that are very harmful that are not present in the exact environment we're in. And so our ideologies, our preferences, our narratives enter into our actions really quickly because we can talk about things that aren't happening in the moment that we're in. So we're not simple beings, and it's not really easy for us to govern our own subjectivity because of all of these different characteristics that we have so that you know, maybe we intend, for example, to tell the truth but we get into a situation where somebody else is boasting, so then we boast a little too. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we intended to tell the truth there, but we went with the narrative, and we didn't quite tell the truth. But then, you know, when we notice it, we could correct it and change it, or we might not correct it. So this intentional action thing and intentional will does allow us to move around in various domains where we're directing things by our own intentions. So sometimes we do that in a way that, like you said, is, is pure or it's, it's got the motivations of wisdom within it. Or sometimes we do it in a way that is self-protective and self-promoting. So we're free in that way to create what used to be called a good and evil. You know, we can create situations that really don't take that. It's not like that much effort to tell a story about somebody that's not exactly true. 
and that sets into motion a whole lot of things. So, you know, since time immemorial, since way back to when the sapiens were first leaving whatever they were leaving, which, you know, they, they left some initial environment and they took over all the other human species. And they did that through violence, by and large, but they also did it through what Harari calls gossip. We have fiction. a lot of that. I mean, uh, the awareness of that is really prevalent right now in our culture. Well, I think it's always the case, yeah. you know. I mean, anytime you listen to people talking, they're often not talking about what's happening between them in that moment or what's around them. They're talking about something that's not present. And so right now we're very aware that social media, the news and so on, can manipulate various kinds of facts and truths. But I just think it's a proliferation of what we've always done. So again, Harari goes back to like some very basic fictions like money, he says, is a fiction. It's a fiction that got going a long time ago with Homo sapiens. And he also says religion is a fiction. And he goes on about other fictions like the self is a fiction. Mm -hmm. the, uh, this narrative of the self is a fiction. So we talk about a lot of things that are not present that are not immediate, and we can manipulate them through our intentions. And so because of that, rules have been set up by wise elders, by religions, by ancestors. In all of the great world religions, rules have been set up to help people govern their intentions, to help them set their intentions in a direction that might result in less harm less self-preoccupation, less selfishness, selfishness mm -hmm. and so on. And, and ultimately, probably intending to harness these hostile kinds of tendencies that we have. Although when I was reading through the Ten Commandments, the commandment about not killing in um, the Judeo-Christian tradition, and I think it's true also in Islam and the Abrahamic religions, it's modified by killing in war. You're allowed to kill in war. But otherwise, you know, killing is wrong. But in the conditions of war, you're allowed to kill freely. That modification is not in the Buddhist precept. So that's an interesting difference. So even though I think the Ten Commandments are aimed at helping us purify these intentions, or let's say, allowing us to have wiser intentions, guiding us in having intentions that are wiser. They also, in some traditions, can lead to hostility against others. That's true, you know, yes. So yes. Um, it's not, they're not necessarily guiding, guiding us against or away from hostility. Well, in you all see situations. that in the Abrahamic religions, I mean, between Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Yeah, they, they have these righteous yeah. wars, these that wars God, for each their... Each one thinks that their God is really the... The, the, the best. The, yeah, the best. The real the best, one. The, the real one. Yeah, <laughs> the real one, yeah. Again, when you get into the idea that a lot of people talking about God in these traditions have never seen God. So right. it's, it's a fiction. You know, they're talking about the fiction in their mind of what God is. And so my God is better than your God. So my fictional right. narrative about God is better than your fictional well, narrative. And also you're bringing up, I mean, which is a whole other debate, you know, so much is based in Revelation. So you could say Revelation is also a fiction, well, it those depends kind of on the visions or those of dimensions of yes, consciousness yes. are fictions, and well, you know, I think again that is a much more complicated I agree. thing. I mean, I yeah. I do think that 
would say we live in these different registers all the time. One of them is the conventional world. Then we also live in this register of dreams and visions and extraordinary powers and so on. And then we live in the register of the formless. So all of those are happening simultaneously. But I do think that that register of dreams and visions is not exactly fictional. I mean, it's not... So what Harari meant by fiction was we, we're making up some story that has nothing to do with what we're actually that we pointed, in that Yeah, moment. I'm glad yeah. To, that we pointed yeah. that out, yes. Yeah. So, so anyway, I thought that since in saying that intentional action is actually free for human beings, that we can set intentions and we can act on our intentions, that it, it would be, in terms of our podcast, a good idea to review the rules that homo sapiens have set for reining in your intentional actions and for allowing you to review what you're going to do before you do it. So these rules are, are, are there so that you can think about them and say, oh, is, do I want to do this? Even though I feel like doing this or something seems to be pushing me, do I really want to do this thing right now? And then this rule would come to mind and you might say, no, because it goes against that rule. And many times rule is also, for many people, vow. Well, yeah, although it I think that's the vow. mature. Yeah, yeah that's like that the mature a... development of it. Yeah. So, I mean, in the past, when I grew up, at least, we learned the Ten Commandments in school. Yes. We had to recite them. Everybody knew them. And so they were sort of a shared property. I don't think, you know, as children, I don't remember anybody saying, oh, you're breaking the fourth commandment or something. But <laughs> but people actually would talk about them and think about them. And I don't think that happens anymore. I don't think that, that there's a shared set of rules that people think of as kind of fundamental human rules for guiding your intentions yeah. and for actually helping you review your actions yeah. before you take them. Yeah. Or the golden rule was, was also became a common uh, way of distilling down the, the Ten Commandments as well. I mean... So how would you say the golden rule? Do not do unto others what you wish wouldn't be done to you. That's kind of an earlier version. That's the That's, negative statement of it. Yeah, which yeah, many of these yeah. rules are stated in the negative. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, it's, I think that's kind of Hillel's. Uh, that's an earlier version. Do unto others as you would. So there's yeah. there's two versions. Yeah. Like in all of these rules, there's yeah. going to be the negative, which right. is going to constrain your action, and then there's the positive, which is ask, asking you to act in a certain way, yeah. but not to do unto others what, what you, you would not, not have like. done to you. Right, that's the earlier one of right. the golden rule, yeah. And that sort of fits with that, you know, a lot of people misunderstand the, I, I think that it's Jesus' teaching of taking only an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's not, it's not stated like if somebody takes your eye, take their eye. It's that if somebody takes out your eye, don't do more than take out that person's eye. So it's a proportional rule about war you know if somebody if somebody does this to you so you know for example pearl harbor the japanese came in and they bombed a large boat with i've forgotten how many americans we then went back and burned all of their major cities and dropped two major atom bombs on them it was completely unproportionate so it was more or less like, you can't do that to us because we'll smash you to Revenge. death. Revenge. 
Well, it's it's showing a power also. Yes. It's just showing power. Yes. And so there was no proportionality to the way we reacted to Pearl Harbor. And it's similar with the 9-11, with the 3,000 and some Americans that were killed with those airplanes. We have now taken so much life in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, and now, Syria. And Syria and Yemen and so on. But it started out in Afghanistan. Even in Afghanistan, it was disproportionate to the life that was taken from us. So, you know, we don't follow those rules of, you know, just an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth or don't do unto others what you would not have them do unto you. Or turn the other cheek. Yeah, turn the other cheek again, I think, is it, it's not turn the other cheek and actually get slapped again. It's more like turn the other cheek and walk away kind of thing. So. The thing that's emphasized in those teachings in the negative is constraint and restraint. Right, yes, and, yes. And that's, remember in Solzhenitsyn and his yes. statement that all world religions are teaching one thing, which is the restraint of your negative reactivity. They're all just teaching that one thing. And I think you see that in the golden rule, the original golden rule, or these original statements about proportionality of war. So that golden rule is kind of a summary, but the, the commandments go into a lot more stuff. Uh, yes, of course they do. So um, why don't we look at the, we have a version of the Ten Commandments. It's on this this tablet, actually, yes. okay. which is also somewhat like a burning bush. Because right? <laughs> things go away. Okay, so do you want to read these, Sarah? And sure. do you want to say what the um, source is for that version? Does it say what the source, I mean, what the source, uh, where are they taking this version from? You have the Old Testament a reference and the in New part Testament. To the yeah. scriptures well, they've, yeah, yeah they've, they've, they've annotated which, where the scriptures come from. The, the first commandment listed is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Tell me what your thoughts are about that. Like, where does that... So that's the very first rule about human intention. So isn't that the beginning also of the monotheistic God? Mm -hmm. That we're in the transition from many, many gods into the monotheistic God? Right. I mean, he, the Hebraic brought that in, the monotheistic God. Right, right. And so, but we're on a, on a sort of more fundamental human scale, Oh, you know, like rather than the historic, I mean, uh, no, it's important to say that because there were many gods and they got right. unified into right. one God. But what do you think this statement, why is it number one? What is it sort of teaching in terms of intentions? What, I mean, that you shouldn't have any other God before this one God. Well, if you believe that then you're obedient to that. What is it? That you follow the the rules or the vows of that particular deity. So here it expands it so, a I little mean, bit. So I, I, I mean, I can only, I mean, I grew up as a Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. So that the Christian God was the God that was foremost in my consciousness as a you know young person growing. So I do think the idea is that, and I know I said this before, is that you don't own your life. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, there's ownership out there. And you cannot put yourself before God in terms of everything that is here. So we should do all things with a single eye to the glory of God. We should love and serve the Lord with all our heart, mind, might, and strength. The way that I see that as a general guideline that many people don't follow anymore is that your life is not your own. 
You know, you, you don't, it's not like a corporation that you're running. You know, you can do anything with this body or this life. You're in a situation that actually has its sort of control and power elsewhere. And you are participating, but you can't put something in front of that control power thing and say, this is the real thing. I mean, to be funny about it, when we, we were talking about, you know, how after God died, God started reemerging in mammograms and kale and, and non-gluten foods, everything that protects people, you know, that people believe if I do this, I'll be protected. If I eat this, I'll be healthy. If I, if I don't eat this, I'm going to be healthy. Those kinds of feelings of safety and protection used to be associated with God. It's like if I align myself with God. With God, I'll have the protection. I'll have the protection and I won't. So I won't be aligning myself with my own ego. At the beginning, right, it's right. kind of like not going to align right. myself right. with what I want, how I see things. My very first rule is yeah. I don't own this whole thing that's right. going on. And, and that, you know, in the relationship to God or to to the deity was was the ability to tell the difference, to discern between good and evil. Well, yes, although I think if you actually align yourself with God, you the idea would be if you really aligned, you're guided right. by you God. Right, you would be, you'd be the, doing good. Yes, that's right. You're going to be aligned with the force right. of good, right. generally speaking, right. if you align yourself with God. But right. if you start aligning yourself with your ego and your own intentions, right. you could possibly then you could do enter hell realms without <laughs> noticing. Yeah. You could go off that path really easily. That's right. So it's like number one rule, do not think this is your own life. Right. This life doesn't belong to you. And I, I wish sometimes I could say that to mothers. You don't own the baby, you know, because they have the baby and then they're like, this is my baby. You know, right. you can't do this to my baby. Well, you don't own that baby. This whole thing is passing through. This is not yours. Yeah. And so to me, that, that first rule, it set up something that I don't see people really thinking about much today. Yes. Do you, we've gone back to the other gods. Yeah, the other gods. They're yeah. they're in the kale and they're in the mammogram. The god of self. The god of self. Everything's protected. The god of promotion. The god of money. Yeah, money is a big god mm -hmm. for us. You know, yeah. it's money's going to make us safe. Right. It's going to make us happy. Money has become like a god in our culture. Well, uh, yeah. What's well, money? It's is, one. Of, it's a fiction. It's like, a fiction. Like, like, like uh, Harari says. It's a says. big fiction. It's a it's a big <laughs> fiction. A lot of people put a lot of effort into thinking about that fiction, but it you know. It seems to me that it's easy in some way to see it with money. It's not so easy to see it with kale. Mm. You know, it's not so easy to see it with these foods that are going to make people safe, you know, that are going to save people. Yeah, it twists around in my mind because I think about how we were animists before we were monotheists. Yeah, right, exactly. And how yeah. the plants of the ground were, yeah. were the god. Were right, the gods. right. So, well, everything was animated, and mm -hmm. so I think in each little group there might be some that are more powerful and some that were less powerful. Well, kale's on the comeback. But yeah, kale's <laughs> coming back, right? But I mean, the thing is that kale, the way that kale gets narrated is that it's just good, and it's really going to save you. And then people eat it. They must get placebo effect from it. You know, they eat it with this incredible belief in how it's going to make them healthy. And similarly, the a whole bunch of belief, other, which you know, is, yeah, also, whole bunch of other foods. Yeah, but, a, but it's it, set up a, before God. Yeah, and well, that's another aspect of yeah. belief. Yes, to have belief in the deity. 
Well, yeah. yeah. And yeah. if you thought that you are just appearing here in the yeah. midst of somebody else's glory, somebody else's, some other sort of situation that's not yours, it just makes you automatically more modest about things. I know when I was a kid and I would talk to my, co my cousin about God. And so, you know, we learned as Catholics also that, you know, basically that, you know, you're made to know, love and serve God and that God actually sees you all the time. So my cousin said, I have a place behind the couch where God can't see me. I, and so I said, well, show me the place. And so she showed me the place and it was just like a little place in the corner behind the couch. And I was like, no, God can see there. Like, you know, if I can see there, God can see there. And she said, no, God knows I think all this things. is a place where God doesn't see me. But she was thinking about it. You know, She was thinking yeah. about God seeing her all the time and actually reviewing her actions. And so again, that issue of being intentional becomes more important if you feel that you're serving something that's not yourself, you know. And I something think bigger that's than what, yourself, yes. You know, that's what that, I think that's where that commandment is going if you kind of put it in a modern, and, and you know, it, it's true historically from the many gods to the one god was a big historic move, but I think in terms of our intentionality, it shifts our center of gravity, you know, away from the self into we're here for some other purpose, not for ourselves, not for our own identities, not to protect our families, whatever. And what would you say about honor thy father and mother? Well, let's not skip ahead. Oh, you want to go in order. <laughs> go in order. So what's the next one? The next one is, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. So... I do think this probably does take in the money and the kale arguments, you know. I mean, there's sort of the same thing, that you make something else. Um, the golden calf. Yeah, yeah you make something else the thing that you worship, not yeah. God, not this yeah. transcendent principle, but something that serves your needs. It preserves mystery. Preserves mystery. Yeah, because if you're, if you're making... A, I guess the graven image to me seems like it's like somehow the objectification of what you think God is. Yes. And right. but if you leave it un, unknown, unimagined as money or whatever it is, right. then it, it can only be conjured by the word mystery for me. Yeah, or it's non-located, mm -hmm. it's transcended. It doesn't have a location. Mm -hmm. But when people put it into something they've located it at that point and then often they want some of that or whatever mm -hmm. but it seems like it's still the first principle it's a little like the first commandment mm -hmm. like don't don't assume that you control things mm -hmm. don't assume you know what's divine mm -hmm. don't assume that you're in charge here that's god territory it's all god territory right mm -hmm. right and so, you know, it's, to me, that's, these are very good rules, you know, just like get yourself out of the center of things. Mm. And as soon as you do, you begin to see the really transcendent aspect of everything that's mm. here. But they're trying to tell you that in that role, mm. you know. Um, then what's the third one? Thou shalt not take the Lord, the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Well, that seems to, again, kind of elaborate. Yeah. Right. That same thing. And in vain, what would you say in vain means there? Well, it's it's speaking from that God position, I guess. I mean, I think of this often being like the don't swear. 
rule. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think but, it probably goes a, a little deeper. Yeah, it does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now that I'm thinking about it, I, right. it's it's about, it's kind of now stepping forward from graven images. Mm-hmm. This is about words. This yeah. is, yes. you know, it makes me think of the Jewish tradition of not writing. Right. The, right. the word name. God. Yeah. yeah. So again, like reserving a place for mystery. Right. Or I would say also that there's a way of speaking where people sound like they're God, you know, like they know mm. exactly what the whole bit is about here. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's wanting you to move away. In vain, I sort of think for your own purposes. Right. Like you're, right. you're speaking about these this kind of God position for your own purposes. Mm-hmm. I know when people kind of go into... Like pontification? Yeah, or even kind of this knowing science in order to know the whole mystery. Oh, this is the mystery of life in here, you know. And so I'm I'm now going to manipulate this for my own purposes. Or uh, where I feel it often happens and, you know, this is innocent. Oh, this is innocent is like when people say... You know, I know some tragedy happens, and they know exactly why that tragedy happened. Oh, right. Yes, you know, yes, yes. Instead mm-hmm. of recognizing they don't know. Yeah. You know, that thing. So then we've got uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Which is, again, another way of remembering that you don't control your life. Mm-hmm. You know, that your life actually, to take a whole day where you're not doing your normal activities. Mm-hmm. It's just a reminder, again, that you're not in charge. It's like right. tithings or something. It's, yeah. uh, I remember somewhere that it was like the Surgeon General's warning that, or, that, saying that if 10 minutes of meditation, mm-hmm. uh, and, and if it kind of adds up to like 10% of your time, this is like 10%, well, you know, more than 10% of your week yeah. gone, gone to worship. To have one day where you don't do your everyday ego things Mm -hmm. you know and you just recognize that you're not in charge of your life you don't own your life you don't control your life you Mm -hmm. don't make the outcomes in your life Mm -hmm. it just kind of reminds you of that Mm -hmm. so then you know you don't have to go through so much stress when things go wrong then we're at honor thy father and thy mother no that's a big one that doesn't go around much anymore right that would that was what yeah 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 so let's just talk about that for a moment. Mm-hmm. So it's, it says right here that it remains binding throughout our lives and can be understood in several ways that we should honor our mothers and fathers who are our ancestors. We should be grateful because they've provided our earthly bodies mm-hmm. and we should honor those who raised us in the knowledge of the truth. And above all, we should honor our heavenly parents. And the way we honor these, all of these, is by keeping the commandments. Mm -hmm. And I think in the Western sense, too, this does touch into the ancestors, you know, in the East, where you have so much uh, reverence and respect and honoring of the ancestors. Right. And also, if you think about, from from a Buddhist perspective, your ancestors also are all the beings that inhabited your life stream. That's right. So that before you came here, others were practicing. And it's not just your physical ancestors, but your spiritual ones. Hmm. And to to honor that, again, it it somewhat returns to that same idea that you didn't make this life. You came upon it, and things were provided in it. And you didn't design any of those things. You're so much so you don't control them more than what you know your your self conscious definition that comes from your ego that life is so much bigger. Right, 
and that you know what the reason I come back to the you don't control it yeah. is because people attack themselves when things go wrong. Right. They feel like they do control it, mm. and that that they're responsible for it in a way that they could not possibly be. Mm. So like honoring all of your spiritual ancestors and your earthly ancestors reminds you you're contextualized in a whole net mm. of life. You know, not just your own life. And also, you know, on you know to say honor thy father and thy mother in in your literal biological father and mother is another way is another aspect of war to wisdom because through the honoring of your parents and through having that kind of respect and 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 a healthy sense of obedience in relation to that you move brings away less, from the less, hostility yeah the yes. hostility yeah. or the out projection or the hatred yeah yeah or the blame or and all the, of the things sort of are hostile dependency vi- but, victimization but, yeah. it's all because my you know my i had a bad childhood yeah, right, or right. you know That's it, right. it, it, it really does do this it, it does and, open yes. the field doesn't yes, it? it does yeah. i mean in one yeah. way yeah uh, and you recognize there are many yeah. many ancestors right not just right you know, the person you're blaming right yeah right so then the next one is kind of um, straightforward. Yeah. Thou shalt not kill. So again, there is there is like a footnote on it in the Abrahamic religions that you can kill in war, and especially in wars that are just wars and holy wars and so on. And but, the thing in the Hebrew Bible, doesn't it say, thou shalt not murder? I don't really know. Yeah. So that's a very big commandment because we're killing all the time. Right. And we accidentally kill all the time. We unintentionally we kill. We kill. That's our, that's our, our, our path to pro- progress. Well, it's the way we eat. Right. Well, that's true, too. I mean, yes. we, we have to eat really frequently. Yes. yes. And we eat other beings. Whether we're eating vegetables, they have insects on them. I mean, we're right. eating yes. other beings all the time, no matter yes. how we yeah. imagine we don't. And so there is a way that we have to kill. So the commandment not to kill becomes a part of a paradox. Like, how do you live without killing? And there again, I think Buddhism takes a slightly different angle on it in asking you to think about it as a paradox, to take the training to not kill. But, you know, to say that you're not going to kill is paradoxical because you're killing all the time. That's right. But it does put you in the mindset of, are you going to intentionally kill? And do you kill? What do you kill? You know, do you kill the mind of compassion? Do you kill, you know, things that actually are other people's enthusiasm or whatever? It doesn't have to be a being. You know, it's it's a whole lot of things that you can... Kill joy. Kill joy. Kill joy. Right. (laughs) Right. So the next one is... Thou shalt not commit adultery. Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> Yet again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so this this one, I think, again, it's hard to see the, the real range of what it was what it was promoting, especially because fornication, homosexuality, and other sexual sins were considered violations of this commandment, thou shalt commit adultery. And so I think it's really when you Use your sexuality in a way that creates harm. That creates to harm. others. I mean, that says it all, doesn't and you, it? Yeah, and you're trying to take something for yourself. Right. And right. I think that's what coveting kind of means. Right. It's like, I'll just get that for myself. Right. And it doesn't matter how the other person feels about it. And there's, again, there's a lot to sort of say about that. Originally, we reject a lot of the categories now, but I think it, the, the real instruction was to keep that kindness and compassion 
in your sexuality and not just use it for yourself. Thou shalt not steal. So stealing, again, it's taking something that doesn't belong, belong to, to you. you. Yes, yeah. yes. And it's mm -hmm. also going beyond boundaries mm -hmm. that somebody else has set, mm -hmm. you know, and and just not respecting those boundaries. And in by instructing you not to steal, you know, children don't really understand when they're young all of the implications of stealing. They don't understand how it undermines the social fabric or what the... But if they have this rule, mm -hmm. then they try to act through the rule. And what it does train you to do is rein in your instincts and your emotions. So you want that candy bar, but you've heard, don't steal. You mm -hmm. shouldn't steal because mm -hmm. of God, and God is watching you. So you learn how to restrain mm -hmm. in that moment, even when you want it. Mm -hmm. And now, again, I don't think we respect that idea of restraint quite enough because it does seem to be at the root of all these religions of restraining yourself from your natural reactivity and from your selfish desires. And I think not stealing does bring that up. The ninth is, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. So how do you understand that one? For me, again, that's to do no harm. So bearing false witness. Yes, to is, is, is lying. Yes. Is, is untruth. Truth. It's that terrible thing that Harai points out, that we talk about yes. things that aren't true, right. Right. and we can do that right. in a way that stirs things up. Right. So again, it, it brings me back to a lot of the things that are said in media about other people that you may or may not know how to check on. Right. You know, but it's just like saying, right. this once person it's said, has it becomes, done this. It becomes real when this it's person, not real. Yes, yeah. It's be, yeah. It joins this fictional quality. Right. It's right. talking behind someone's back. Talking yeah. beside, behind someone's back. It's just an unkindness, mm -hmm. and it has consequences that you, you, know, you can't take responsibility for. Yeah. You know, the idea that your true friend always says to your face what the friend is, is wanting to say, but does not speak that behind your back. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, that's used in a fictional way. It's mm -hmm. not used with you then, it's used about you with others. Mm -hmm. Number 10 is, Thou shalt, shalt not covet. So just read what it says there about. Sure. Coveting or envying something that belongs to another is damaging to the soul. It can consume our thoughts and plague us with a constant unhappiness and dissatisfaction. It often leads to other sins and financial indebtedness. Mm. That's a really, really good rule about envy. Yeah. Mm. You know, yeah. like yeah. Melanie Klein's version of envy, which we talked a lot about in the podcast in the beginning, and how people can spend so much time and so much misery just putting down what somebody else has because they feel they can't have it for themselves. Yeah, I think about how she said that envy is the most painful emotion yes. or reaction because it destroys the good. It's yes. like the, the thing that you see out in the world that is good because it is not yours, right. you can't appreciate it. Yeah. That's a perfect way of saying it. And I think that's the commandment against it. Mm -hmm. You know, And again, it as a, as a way of following that really does help you when it comes to those those feelings that you know you when you feel about somebody else's successes you have that feeling that you wish they hadn't had those successes you know mm -hmm. or you don't get something that you want and instead of enjoying what you've gotten you do this other thing yes. of spoiling it yeah you know 
So those are the Ten Commandments, and then we're going to go through the five precepts kind of quickly. I'm going to state these basic five precepts that are fundamental to all the Buddhist practices. There are lots of other ones that you can build on, and, there's, and there, are ten, there are ten that are given in Zen. But these are the basic five that belong in all the traditions. And I just wanted to say, given what we just talked about at the, with the, the ten, one of the precepts was to be able to rejoice in the, the success of another, to right. be able to understand what it means to truly rejoice. Yeah, in the same way, you know, regret and remorse you know, having genuine remorse. I, I really... Well, uh, envy really often are... makes it hard for people well, to rejoice in yes, the success exactly. of others. And or I, to be... Yes, yes that and, was a wonderful... That's a... Yeah. That's a wonderful... It's a, um, it's a skill that yeah, you have to, again, yeah. practice yeah. to set your mind on it yes. because it doesn't happen naturally. Right. Well, the yes. The natural thing yes. is to again, envy practice, practice. to cut down other yes. people. Yeah. So the very first one, in the, and I'm going to read it in the negative, and then you'll read it in the okay, positive. Yes, These yes. are two different traditions of stating the precepts. And so the one I'm stating, that I'll be stating, comes from the Theravadan or the older Buddhist practices. And so the first precept is, you know, I take the training to refrain from taking life. I take the training to refrain from taking life. So in the original form, all of these precepts were taken as vows yes. because there was an not there was an acknowledgement that you can't just do it. You can't just refrain from taking life because you're taking life all the time. So you have to train your mind to see what taking life means. And then you can refrain from it. So it's like a lifelong practice of taking this training to refrain from taking life. That was the original statement. So in the Version. And stating it positively is to, to the best of my ability, I will protect and support life and encourage the fulfillment of potential for love and understanding in others. So again, that's like enhancing life rather yes. than killing yes. life, right? Yes. And so it's stated in the positive. Yes. So the, the second precept is, I take the training to refrain from taking which that which is not freely given. I take the training to refrain from taking that which is not freely given. There are a lot of negatives in there, mm -hmm. but it, it means that, again, it's not always possible to know when you are stealing something from someone. So you have to actually be careful to not try to take somebody's joy, for example, in a moment where they're feeling it and you're wanting some joy. So you tell your story when they're telling their story, mm -hmm. and they're not freely giving you that moment but you're taking it from them. Mm. Like that's a subtlety, but you start to learn to watch your intentions yeah, yeah. when you're looking at what is not freely given to you. And so it can go all the way from taking something that doesn't belong to you to taking a moment that no one has offered to you or to taking, I know when Ed and I were first looking for houses in Vermont and we would drive up and knock on people's doors and say, would you sell us your house? I began to feel like we were trying to take things that weren't freely given because we were just asking people when we liked their houses. And yeah, we stopped doing it after a while, but it did have that feeling about it. So um, then well, stated in, the positive. in the positive framework, to the best of my ability, I will take only what is freely given and vow to practice gratitude and generosity. Right. Right. So again, it's not just not taking, but also giving. Yeah, and giving. I like the nuance that you brought up with what you were saying. 
about not taking what's yes. not freely given. Yes. So the third one is I take the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. And again, in the Buddhist framework, that doesn't have specifics about marriage vows or any kind of particular, like your wife, your, yeah, your, yeah. your neighbor's wife or anything. It basically says to you to train your mind to see your sexuality as a very powerful kind of interaction with another and that you wouldn't use that in an, in an unkind or uncompassionate way mm-hmm. towards somebody else. You know, that it's, that it's something that you always need to be careful about because it's so powerful. And it is set aside as a precept. So again, that occurs in all the religions because sexuality is yes, powerful. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And the third here is, to the best of my ability, I will respect and support ongoing relationships, honor my commitments, and practice discernment between the beauty of eros as a feeling and and the compulsiveness to act it out. My gosh, that's a quite an expansion. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wrote that one, but that, that's interesting. I mean, you can respect always... Respect and support, yeah. honor my commitments, practice discernment, between the true beauty of the eros versus a feeling, uh, you know, the compulsiveness of acting out. That you have to act on. Yeah. 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 That's an interesting way of explaining that. And so then the fourth one is I take the training to refrain from unwise and unskillful speech. And you and I have talked a lot about about this, this about, you know, what is true in speech and what is kind and so on. I don't think we need to go into it much except to say that it's a vast practice because you're speaking to yourself and you're speaking to others all the time. And to the best of my ability, I will say what is true, useful and timely and practice deep listening such that both my speaking and my listening reflects loving kindness and compassion. Right, a very positive way. Yeah. Then the final one is I I take the training to refrain from intoxication that clouds the mind. And again, the emphasis there is in on clouding the mind. It doesn't mean you will never take any intoxicants, but that you won't take enough to cloud your mind. And so that is something, again, that you... You practice, you see what clouds your mind, what doesn't cloud your mind. Right. And so it's not a rule, never do this. Right. But don't do not do this to your mind. It's right. kind of the rule. Exactly. And again, to, to not create further harm for self or other. That's right, yeah. because yeah. then it, that moves into harm if you and lose then, control of your mind. Yeah. And the last one stated positively is, to the best of my ability... I will maintain a clear and alert mind that is aware of its motivations moment to moment such that it can discern between what is the cause of suffering and what is not the cause of suffering. That's very well, that's good. nice. Yeah. yeah, to maintain the mind <laughs> yeah. with that kind of clarity. Yeah. I'm actually going to read that one again. That's a nice closing line. Yes, it is. When, um, to the best of my ability... I will maintain a clear and alert mind that is aware of its motivations moment to moment such that it can discern between what is the cause of suffering and what is not the cause of suffering. Very nice. Very nice. So, I mean, I think this has been a pretty quick review of intentional action, free will, and then the guidelines that come from the traditional cultures. Exactly. And again, to... To, to just further the understanding of from war to wisdom. Yes, yes. it's the path from, yes. from hostility yes. to wisdom. Yes, and wonderful having our guest with us, yes. Sarah Brody from oh. Toronto. Thank, Thank you, you Sarah. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Thank Thanks, you. Eleanor.
So soon I will be teaching at the Rowe Conference Center. It's in Rowe, Massachusetts. And I will be offering two different programs. One is a couples retreat program, which is on the weekend of October 4th and 5th, 2019. And that's for anybody who wants to participate. You can check on the Roe website, R-O-W-E. And then I will be presenting as well a foundational training in dialogue therapy that begins on Monday, October 6th and goes to October 11th. That first segment is a five-day program. It's part one of a two-part certificate training in dialogue therapy. And this training program is for any therapist who wants to enhance skills for couples therapy or wants to learn to do dialogue therapy, or for non-therapists who want to learn this training in order to become a real dialogue specialist. And we talked about real dialogue on several of the podcasts. The first week of the training is October 6th through 11th, 2019. And then the second week is March 6th through 11th, 2020. March 6th through 11th, 2020. And so this model of therapy based on real dialogue, and it's a structured, time-limited form of couples therapy that draws on psychoanalysis, mindfulness, and psychodrama. It can be applied to couples in conflict and couples who are having especially difficulties with their intimacy, as well as to other dyadic relationships where there's difficulties with repetitive conflicts. Uh, In the training, you'll be learning in lots of different ways through mindfulness practices, dyadic exercises, videos, lecture, intensive sessions, and you will learn about lots of different things, including the nature of personal love, challenges of equality, reciprocity, and mutuality, and the enemy factors in personal love. So there's lots more to the training, but if again, if you check on my website, www.youngeisendrath.com, or if you check on the Row website, You will get the details for the training program October 6th through 11th, 2019, and then March 6th through 11th, 2020 for the full certification. And the uh, couples retreat precedes the weekend before that October 6th date. So I hope to see you there. I always look forward to the training. We learn a lot together, and it's also a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening, and to continue the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find past episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and CastBox. Enemies from War to Wisdom is recorded and produced by Chris Coltrane.